1: Offer valid on select AK system That's through June 16, 2024 See participating retailer for details The first week of the 76ers season Was pretty good
0: Lob down to Benny and a
2: slam Richardson got his own miss Puts it up and it. Josh Richardson With a gutty
1: basket That's good Tobias Harris puts the Sixers up by three You know in fact the first week of the season Was better than good It was perfect Literally And it put the team atop the NBA.com power rankings.
2: They're going to be monstrous defensively. There's enough offensive talent there. You know, that's a formula for a team that can compete for a championship.
1: We touch base with John Schumann, the guy who gave the Sixers number one billing on this episode of the broadcast. The first team to four and currently the only team to four that also does not have a loss caveat, at the very least at the time of the taping of this podcast. How are you? Brian Seltzer back for another episode of the broadcast. And yes, the 76ers are indeed off to a 4-0 start for the first time since 2000-2001. We should all know, of course, where the 76ers ended up going that season. And the Sixers are the only team in the NBA to get to four wins while also not having a loss on their ledger. The Miami Heat, Toronto Raptors, and Utah Jazz all go into the weekend with records of 4-1, and but the 76ers are the only perfect team left out of 30 in the NBA, and for good reason. They've been excellent on the defensive end of the court. Going into the weekend, they were number four in the NBA in defensive rating, just under 97 points allowed per 100 possessions. They're first in the league in steals, they are top five in deflections, they are best on the boards, rebounding the basketball, top three in block shots per game, they have been monsters in the paint scoring the ball, especially on second opportunities. Just phenomenal, phenomenal, and very encouraging stuff. We're going to talk to John Schumann about ranking the 76ers number one in the first edition of the NBA.com Power Rankings for this season. But first, I want to remind you that to subscribe to our podcast, search 76ers Podcasts or 76ers Podcast Network anywhere where you get your pods. It could be Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever it's easy as typing in a few of those keywords in your search and then subscribing to our feed john schumann in a moment but we've been doing this the past couple weeks now hope you've enjoyed it our opening tip segment and for this week we'll take a trip down 95 the 76 er season as we know is well underway the team now headed across the country to start a four-game trek against some very good Western Conference clubs. But back east, there's plenty of work being done as well, about 30 miles south of Philadelphia in Wilmington, Delaware, at 76ers Fieldhouse. That is where a collection of nearly 20 or so players spent this past week taking part in training camp for the Delaware Bluecoats, the 76ers G League affiliate. There were some noteworthy names in Coates' camp. Mariel Shayok, this year's second-round pick out of Iowa State. Haywood Highsmith, one of the Sixers' two-way players last year. Chris Kamaji and Isaiah Miles are there as well, and they were in 76ers training camp. But the most prominent face of all was no doubt Zaire Smith, the 16th overall pick acquired by the Sixers in the 2018 draft. It's an intriguing story for sure. On the heels of a strong summer, during which he displayed a lot of positives at Summer League, the 20-year-old Smith was assigned to the Blue Coats with two goals in mind. To stay fresh and to continue to improve.
2: Are you excited to get a bunch of playing
1: time down here? I'm definitely I'm feeling good and
0: just getting ready here, come out, play some games, go out there and get my minutes and just be aggressive, play, and continue to shoot the ball and play defense.
1: By name, the Blue Coats are in just their second season of existence. Prior to relocating to Delaware's largest city a year ago, the franchise spent five seasons playing in Newark as the 87ers. In addition to 2018 marking the Coats' first campaign in Wilmington, it was also the first season that the GM head coach tandem of Matt Lilly and Connor Johnson worked together. Both guys aren't even 30 yet, and they boast really impressive resumes. Lilly has spent nearly a decade in the G League, rising to a top front office position from the ground up. He was Elton Brand's right-hand man in Delaware before E.B. got bumped up to the big gig with the Sixers. Johnson, meanwhile, played at Amherst in Massachusetts, worked for Jay Wright for a bit at Villanova, then landed a spot on Brett Brown's staff as an operations assistant. He proceeded to work his way up to Brown's Director of Player Development and Coaching Administration and ultimately was tapped to become the Coats head coach. What did Lillian Johnson accomplish in their first season? Simply put, the duo fine-tuned an infrastructure that facilitates development on all fronts. It's good. Milton nails a corner three. Simmons with a pass to Milton in the corner. And Shake Milton gives the Sixers a 99-95 lead. First, from a player standpoint, Shake Milton finished second in the G-League in scoring then had his two-way contract converted full-time with the Sixers.
0: Pell with another slam
2: and a foul on Detroit.
1: Norval Pell was named to the All-G League defensive team and earned a two-way contract this offseason. Highsmith, one of the two-way players last year, made great strides. And Jared Brownridge ended 2018 19 as the league leader in three-pointers. Also worth noting, over the past couple months, nearly a dozen blue-coat staffers, from coaches to talent evaluators, Advance their careers either within the 76ers organization or elsewhere so yeah Lily and johnson they seem to have something cooking down in wilmington we don't treat it as Sixers staff and, and blue coat staff like it's one organization that that works together to kind of put together the the plan for w- what path do we see for this player what are the what are the goals and checkpoints we're kind of looking to, to check off along the way um, so I think it's it's really collaborative with, with myself, Connor. Everyone is kind of on board with, with carving out what does the plan for this guy look like, what is our vision, and how can, we, how can we help him get there? That was Lily. Here's Connor Johnson. The Sixers have a strong culture since Brett came on board, and that is something that we, we aren't the same team as the Sixers, but at the same time, we value the same things and we preach the same things to our players, and I think that's another element of continuity that as the players go back and forth, they can see. It's progress that wouldn't be possible without committed consistent support from the 76ers themselves not just holistically but financially too this
0: is elton brand we take pride in having the blue coats the ability to have the blue coats um, as an extension of the sixers that's what the blue coats stand for um, for us they're an extension of the sixers you know it's not just the players it's also for you know staff myself started you know as in a leader's true leadership role it was as g league um gm of the g league of the 87ers which are now the blue coats and it afforded me an opportunity to really grow and develop and we're looking to promote from within um, and give our staff and employees an opportunity um, to grow
1: and that's what's been taking place but the top priority make no mistake about it is to develop contributors to the 76ers and their championship aspirations whether that's a player who's slated to be with the Blue Coats all season, or someone a little more established like Zaire Smith, who's with the Coats right now to plain and simple, get reps and stay fresh. How do you guys like try and manage that type of dynamic with them that it's really ultimately only going to better them to just be playing actively somewhere regardless of where it is?
0: There's nothing like the opportunity to play in front of fans and have our great facility. You can't replicate an actual game situation by practicing on the side or scrimmaging.
1: Even if it's against against all-stars or pros,
0: all-league NBA players being out there and actually, you know, having that opportunity. So, you know, the field house being developed in the way it is. Coach Johnson, the way he's marrying his system exactly with ours. Matt Lilly, the GM there, making sure that the players know their roles not only to develop for the blue coats but when they have the opportunity with the sixers so it's it it really helps us as an entire organization
1: again connor johnson there's no break in what the player and get from whether it's they're here or whether they're up in camden with the sixers or playing in a game that they're getting the same things that they need and they experience kind of the same resources that that they get either way so for as hype as you rightfully should be about the 76ers do pay attention to what's going on in Wilmington. The Blue Coat season opener is at home on November 9th at 76ers Fieldhouse. And odds are, whether it's a player, coach, front office staffer, you might just be seeing them at some point in the not-too-distant future with the Sixers. That was our opening tip, which hopefully you've been digging. One thing I know you will dig, or you should, is something the 76ers have planned for a couple weeks from now. It's called 76ers Crossover, the art exhibition, presented by Reebok, celebrating the creative crossover between basketball and the city of Philadelphia. How awesome is that? Maybe you've seen some of the teases of the artwork on social media or in Arena down at the center. It's going to be a free event open to the public from Saturday, November 16th, through Tuesday, November 19th, at the Fittler Club in Philadelphia. That's on 24th Street, just south of Ludlow, right by Randstad. And the event is going to display more than 200 pieces of art produced by artists from 13 different countries. Amazing. Visit 76ers.com slash 76ers crossover and follow us on social media for all the additional information You'll need on specific times and details for how you can enjoy this one-of-a-kind art exhibition 76ers crossover presented by Reebok. Each and every week on Mondays on NBA.com, you can look forward to the release of John Schumann's Power Rankings and following the first, let's call it half week of regular season play. The 76ers were up three spots from number four to number one. John was at the Sixers game on Wednesday, the win over the Minnesota Timberwolves, and prior to tip, he and I had the chance to catch up. John, there is a boilerplate on your weekly Power Rankings column that reads in part, if you have an issue with the rankings or have a question or comment for John Schumann, send him an email or contact him via Twitter. How often does the populace take you up on that offer?
2: Uh, Pretty often, (laughs) but I don't take it too seriously because, one, I don't – because, one, you know, everybody that's doing that um, has their own biases. Um, And then, two, I don't – personally, I don't stress the actual rankings of the team very much. I will tell you – I'll let you in on a secret that 99% of the work goes into what's written about the teams and then at the end i just put them in some sort of order right so like i care about when i write my power rankings is if you're a sixers fan and you watch every single sixers game all 82 you can come to the power rankings um on monday and maybe learn something that you didn't necessarily know about them, like a, a stat or you know how a, a particular lineup has done compared to the rest of the league, how how they do in this particular category um, compared to the rest of the league. Now, it's impossible for me to do that for all 30 teams for all 26 weeks of the season, but that's sort of the goal when I go into it. And so therefore, like all the work or the bulk of the work goes into what I write. I, I think of it more of as a notebook than rankings to my as like a league-wide notebook then to rankings and then sort of at the end i say all right who should be number one who should be number 30 and how am i going to sort them uh in between and some weeks it's a lot easier than others some weeks it's difficult um even this week in after after week one it was kind of difficult just because there wasn't um a team that we expected to be really good that was really dominant in week one um you know the sixers won their first couple of games, but it wasn't the prettiest of of weeks or, or or prettiest of basketball that we saw but um you know it 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 has has to do with a lot with how that team's doing and then how the teams around them are doing and sort of the teams that teams that they're are in the same tier and how they've been doing recently
1: yeah, I'd have to think that some of the toughest situations to rank the teams is when you've got a blank canvas and how many times a year do you have that essentially now, and that's about it the first two weeks, perhaps, yeah. and then also when there hasn't been much movement in the standings on a league-wide basis, right? Like, to me, that would be when, when things are static, that's when, if I yeah. were doing it, that's when the rankings would become difficult.
2: There was a year, I guess it was Michael Carter-Williams' rookie year when the Sixers were expected to be pretty bad, and then they won, they beat the Heat in week one, like in, in their first game. And they started they, 3-0 the they last time. They started 3-0. 3-0. and And... I put them number one because if why not, you know, it's it's week yes. one and no, they're not going to be number one forever. They're probably not going to be number one again. And, and I'm sure they quickly fell off at after that, but what, I mean, who like it's just rankings. It doesn't matter. Like really, it doesn't matter. And hopefully, like I said, somebody comes in there and uh, can read it. And yeah, they may not be happy with the way I ranked the teams, but maybe there's something in there that they can get out of it. So, um, And like I said, like, if if you did that, if you just said, if you just rank them on based on who you think can win the championship at the in June, then, you know, the Warriors would have been number one for five straight years, you know, so what's the, you know, not five straight year, but you know, you get the point. Um, And so, you know, I try to have a little bit fun with it, too.
1: Is there a basic criteria formula that, that you draw upon and fall back upon?
2: Yeah, I think quality wins is a big thing to me. A quality win is, you know, a road team, a road win over a good team, or just a win over another good team. So obviously, when I was looking at this week, the Sixers um, were two and zero. The Nuggets were two and zero, and I had thought pretty highly of the Nuggets. I had them ranked in the top five even before the season started. Um, but the Sixers sort of win over the Celtics, and thinking that the Celtics were a good team, and knowing, you know, knowing that they'd be a pretty good team, that sort of made the difference in, in ranking those two teams, um, uh, and, or, and putting the Sixers number one, like, qual- like good wins is, is matters to me. And so for instance, like the Spurs were also two and O, but just ha- had beat two sort of weaker Eastern conference teams. And it was fairly easy not to, you know, push them too high because knowing, you know, who they had beaten, how much they win by and that type of thing.
1: Before the season started, you had the 76ers ranked number four, which is all things considered top five, pretty good. What has you so bullish, generally speaking, at the outset of the year about the 76ers?
2: I mean, they're going to be monstrous defensively, and we know that, and they already have been. I mean, their defense in game one was terrific, Um, and... That is a great foundation to start with. Um there are I think legit questions about their offense, but there's still talent I mean, there's still talent there. Like you have Joel Embiid, you have Ben Simmons who, you know, as limited as his as he is with his jump shot, can get downhill and, and get buckets. Um we saw it in game one, I think he had twenty four or twenty six, I forget which what it was. Um you have Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris. So there's enough offensive talent there where they're going to be, at worst, average offensively. And then with how good they are going to be defensively, um, that's you know that's a formula for one of the best teams in the league and a, a team that can uh, compete for a championship if everything comes together.
1: Going back, reflecting on the summer, thinking about the moves, transactions that 76ers and Elton Brand made, do you remember, was there one, was there two, a few that – Kind of made you pause, stop in your tracks, and go like, wow, I, I didn't see this coming? Or
2: Al I, Horf- I mean, Al that. Horford, It's uh, I've thought the world of Al Horford uh, for a long time, and I go back to two years ago um, in that playoffs where Boston reached the conference finals basically without Kyrie Irving, um, and they beat Milwaukee in the first round, and Al Horford was guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo, um and did a fantastic job on him they went to 7 games al horford was the best player in game 7 um and then they played the sixers in the second round and he outplayed joel embiid i mean he guarded joel embiid he even guarded ben simmons at times and he was he outplayed them both and i think he's just um he obviously he's talented but what i think about him is that he he just he executes the game plan to a T like he knows the game plan and executes it perfectly um, on both ends of the floor. He knows what he's supposed to do offensively. He knows how his team can take advantage of the other team offensively. And then defensively, he knows where to be and what to do, what his job is. Um, And like, he is just sort of like, I just see him as the epitome of uh, execution um, as a veteran player, he has his limitations of course, and he's not going to have the best shooting games all the time. But I feel like, you know, that was a huge coup for the Sixers to get to, as Brett Brown has said it, to get him and then to take him away from the Celtics at the very same time.
1: How much have you found over your time covering the league that as players get up there in years? How much farther can IQ take you, a savvy for the game intellect? Can can that be a prevailing factor in prolonging not just a career, but how effective you are in this middle stage in terms of age of your career?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, Al's a great example of that, that he, um, you know, isn't the most athletic guy, um, uh, you know, isn't – is obviously getting older and, you know, doesn't move as well, but just – Executes a, a coach is going to trust him all the like is always going to trust him to do the right to, to do what the coach wants, and I think that's a huge part of sticking in this league is just gaining the trust of the coaches, and then in a, in the ex, in extension the the front office that's that that's making the the, the personnel decisions. Um, you know, shoot, look at T.J. McConnell, like a guy like that that just doesn't, you know, he. he I was talking about him with somebody today, and he's just amazing, like, that this guy is in the league considering how small he is. He's not that athletic, and he really can't shoot outside of 17, 18 feet, but he's tough and he's smart. He knows what to do, Um, and so, like, there are great examples of that, and a lot of them came out of this organization when when the team wasn't winning that just... um, uh, didn't come in with a ton of talent, but just knew what to do and and worked hard and also you know listened to their coaches and 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 if they execute well, they can stick around for a long time.
1: You talked about how in your power rankings you like to drop in a few nuggets in each capsule about a team that might open fans' eyes to something else. And one that stood out to me from the recent power rankings. Uh, and you're writing about the 76ers, is that the Sixers allowed the Celtics to score just 37 points on 51 possessions with Joel Embiid on the floor. Obviously, that is telling of Joe's defensive impact. But it also makes you think back to last year and how much of a subplot it was, particularly in the Toronto series when the Sixers were eliminated, of what happened when Joel wasn't on the floor. And when I look at this year's Sixers team... It's obviously different, especially on the offensive end, than it was last year. There's no J.J. Reddick in particular. But when Joel's not on the floor this year, you do have Horford. And for all the great things that Al does, I think simply his presence of being available provided good health. When Joel isn't available, whether it's for a substitution or a game off here or there, I think that makes the Sixers better. Yes. It should, in theory.
2: Yes, yes. I think that would, like, if you look at the Toronto series, well, what went wrong? Well, we we were... I forget the plus minus in the how many, exactly how many minutes it was when when Embiid was off the floor, but it was staggering. Um, and yes, and and we know. Speaking of staggering, Brett Brown staggers the minutes of his starters. Now there's a plus and a minus. That the 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 plus, the positive is that you're always going to have two starters on the floor, right? And you have a talented starting lineup. If you have two of those guys on the floor at all times you can take advantage of the other team's second unit and we saw in the la- in the playoffs last year him starting the second and fourth quarters sometimes with the s- with the whole starting lineup on the floor which was unique and i th- they obviously took advantage of that the negative is that if you're doing that you don't have all five starters on the floor together at the same time for as l- for as long as you would if you didn't stagger the minutes like if you just say okay we're going to play them the first 9 of the first and the last 7 or 8 of the second quarter and so maybe you lose some of the potency that way um but then maybe you know with this starting lineup maybe the fit isn't perfect you know it's a lot of talent but maybe the fit isn't perfect and so maybe staggering the minutes is is the way to go but like you said i think the the benefit of it obviously is to have you always can you know when they're healthy you always have either Joel Embiid or al horford anchoring your defense and that's um huge
1: Speaking of fit, how do you see Josh Richardson fitting in all this at this stage of his career?
2: It's interesting because they're asking him, I think, to be a more of a ball handler than he's ever been. I think he's um, he's. um – they're trying to – I don't want to say force isn't the right word, but, like, because of the lack of pick-and-roll ball handling that they have on this team, he's sort of now, like, pushed into that role a little bit. Um And so – and I think so far, so good – Um in that regard, and I think that's that could be a big factor in just how good they are come, you know, May and June is just how well Richardson does with handling the ball um, and making those decisions out of pick and rolls um, to give them something different, something other than, you know, uh, Embiid post-ups and, and uh, you know, Ben Simmons trying to get downhill.
1: How much was Richardson's ascent and the more that he did in Miami something that was... Talked about within league circles the last couple of years.
2: I thought he was terrific. In fact, there was a year—I don't, I don't think it was last year, maybe it was the year before—where Gordon, where there was a bunch of injuries for All Stars, and the Heat were a good team, and Goran Dragic was selected by the commissioner's office as a uh, injury replacement for All Star. When I was looking at, it, I, thought, I thought Josh Richardson should have been that. Like I thought he should have been their All Star that year. Um, he's really good. Just a terrific two-way player, um, has turned himself into a great shooter. Um, I think the ball handling is coming. I think, you know, we're going to see it with this team a lot more than we have in the past. And then defensively, he's, he's fantastic. And, and obviously he's going to have a huge role in this, on this team, guarding opposing point guards, um, uh, with his length and his size, he's just obviously, uh, the sort of uh, default matchup uh, for opposing point guards. So um, he he's a, he's a fantastic two way player. Like the fact that they were able to um, get him out of the Jimmy Butler deal was was great. Like it was terrific. Like it's you know they they lost Reddick, they lost Butler, but they gained two borderline all stars uh, in to replace them. And you know it switches the di- the dynamic because you're you know swapping two wings for a wing and a, and a big. But, um, you know, talent-wise, they, they did just fine.
1: I'm to ask you at the top, would we have kept the 76ers at, number one, we're recording this on Wednesday, October 30th, after their win over the Atlanta Hawks? Would they have maintained their perch at this point of the week, or sure, other things happen?
2: Sure. I mean, it wasn't the the, the prettiest of wins. I think their offen- we saw some more offensive struggles um but a, I've always, I always say a road win is a good win, you know, even if it's not against the best team and even if it's only by uh, a couple of points. Road wins are good wins. You can, you'll can you take a road win however you can get it. Um, and so, no, I wouldn't I, – I in my mind, in my midweek uh, power rankings, which are only in my head, uh, they are still number one.
1: One storyline that emerged from that was the 76ers going to Joel Embiid late in the game, fourth quarter, tight battle he was doubled a lot in the game he got to the free throw line made the final two to win the game as far as the next phase of joel's evolution is it about handling increased attention that he gets drawing double teams cutting down on turnovers recognizing those situations executing late in the fourth quarter when brett brown said he is the team's crown jewel and they'll look at that
2: yeah i thought it was fascinating that they they ran a design duck in basically for the last play of the game. Like you don't see that it doesn't happen. But before the season started, you know, Pete, Brett Brown was asked, you know, who's going to be your go to go to guy down the stretch. And he said, I think it's Joel. I was like, well, you know, the thought is, well, how are you going to do that? He's, you know, you're going to getting the ball into the post is not as easy as it, as it sounds. But there was example number one of, uh, you know, them trying to get, Joel the ball on the last possession and it worked and give credit to Al Horford for making that pass that was not the easiest pass to make um, and you know that's that's huge and um, you know we're talking right now but it's before the Minnesota game um, and it'll be fun to see how both the Sixers and the Wolves going into this game guard post-ups because Joel and Carl and Anthony Towns are number one and number two I don't think in that order maybe in reverse order um, in post-ups per game so it'll be interesting to see how both teams handle that and how both those guys handle you know, the defense that, that comes their way.
1: I obviously live in a very hyper-focused 76ers world. Is it rare what we're seeing from Matisse Thibel? I know it's only three games in, and he did do some pretty good stuff in the preseason. What what stood out to you about Matisse Thibel? He's been a guy Brett's gone to early on in the rotation.
2: He's a Kawhi Leonard-esque in his ability to snatch the ball from anybody who's got a loose handle anywhere in his vicinity um that's it's it's pretty ridiculous the way uh, or his hands and his um his quickness defensively and it says a lot about the guy that he trust you know that he earned um the coach's trust uh to be in the rotation from day one like that says a lot that, you know, uh, to, to earn that job over people that have been here before, you know, they've been here, have been around already. Um, and so, uh, you know, he's obviously got a ways to go, especially offensively. Um, but he's starting from a pretty high floor, let's say, you know, with what he can do defensively and just his size and, um, you know, his defense on Kemba Walker in in the opener was, was terrific and was, noteworthy just because they have not only this huge starting lineup, but then now they have um, guys off the bench that can can defend just as well.
1: He came in against Trey Young the other night. Trey Young got off to a quick start for the Hawks. Thought he kind of threw Trey off his, his game a little bit. Yeah, he he does seem to have a pretty ridiculous knack for just being able to sniff things out, make – I guess Brett Brown, shoot, I'm forgetting the exact phrase. A Reckless thief, I think, is what Brett called him the <laughs> other good. day. But you that's know, good. he he's like, and he made a joke about it. He's like, I've been out of position my whole career, and that's why I've been successful. But like, yeah. out of position within reason. <laughs> yeah. Like he's been consistently successful.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the one thing to watch is just you know how he how he does with with uh, with fouls. You know, yeah. just being able to stay out of foul trouble and. And keep his team out of foul trouble because if he's coming in, you know, late first quarter or whatever it is, you know, and, and and that the other team's in the bonus, that, you know, those those things are more important.
1: I usually ask uh, national reporters when they pass through or were able to get them on the pod or I even just see them like in, in passing and I, I'm just making bad small chat. I like to ask stuff like, well, what is, from what you've been hearing, what do people think of this person, that person, the other Elton Brand, I mean obviously this team has been shaped uh, aggressively within his vision line over the last year and a half now at this point. Um what do you think are some of Elton's distinguishing traits as a front office executive from what you've been able to gather and that's allowed him to be able to pull off some of these aggressive moves?
2: I mean aggressive is the word. Like okay. I, I that's that I mean it's amazing just how far they've come um since 2 years ago, I guess it was. They were 25 and 25 right like and then just went on that huge run down the stretch of that season and then we've just seen so many like like I the team is unrecognizable from what that team was that was you know the Sarich and Covington starting lineup that was so good um you know and then there was uh you know a fairly quiet summer and then the Jimmy Butler trade and then the Tobias Harris trade and then uh you know Butler and Reddick become Richardson and Horford i mean it's just it's just keeps rolling and it's you know given the age of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid it's unusual for a team to be so aggressive in trying to win a championship right away um but you know you got to admire it like you know why not you know Embiid is is a force and um one of the best, maybe one of the best two way players in the league an MVP candidate if, and a defensive player of the year candidate, if he stays healthy. So, um, you know, (laughs) if you, if you feel like it's time to go for it, you go for it and and they've done that. And I I mean, just the the Horford and Richardson acquisitions this summer are just, I, you know, I don't think many of us saw that coming and that just speaks to his preparedness to, to be able to, you know, pivot from, you know, Butler and Reddick to those two guys. Like, that That says a lot about how prepared Elton and his staff were um, going into the summer.
1: And just one final thing before we wrap this up. How much do you think that approach was dictated by 76ers front office seeing that, well, Joel, while he still has room to grow, we have an established sense of what he can do. And Ben Simmons, while there's still areas that he can obviously grow like that they saw enough evidence out of the two of them to know that they were, I guess what I'm saying is how, how much of is it a reflection of the readiness of those two players that the 76ers were like, even though they're young, all right, now is the time to try and capitalize on this rather than wait a little bit more for more growth and evolution and development from those players.
2: I mean, hey, I mean, even, though, even though they're young, they're all-stars. Like yeah. They're all-star level players. So, And then you can just go back into time and realize that you never know when your when your time is up, or like, or when your time comes. Like I, I remember in when the Thunder were in the finals in 2012. You know, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Serge Ibaka. All those guys were like 24 and 25 years old, and I was like, oh, you know, they'll be back. You know, we're gonna be coming to Oklahoma City for the finals for years to come. And well, no, we haven't, right? Um, and I remember at that time looking back and seeing, okay, well Shaq and Penny were like 25 when they made the finals with the magic, and they never got back as a as a tandem. Um, Dwight Howard was 25 ish or when he got to the finals um, with the magic, and he never got back uh, with that group. you know it's it you there are teams that get get push far and you're like, and maybe and they don't make it all the way and you say you know they're they're young you know they're that guy's just entering his prime he'll be back but you just never like no not necessarily you know you never know what's coming around the corner um and so you've got a you got to push for everything while you can you know you can't take uh take anybody's talent for granted and think that it's it's always going to be there john schumer thanks
1: so much man appreciate it yep John's Weekly Power Rankings on NBA.com. Get them every Monday. Always a good, thought-provoking read. Follow John on Twitter, at John Schumann. All right, the Sixers continue this long run of road games. They are out west taking on some quality teams, at least in the early part of the season. They've got the Portland Trailblazers, Phoenix Suns, Utah Jazz, and Denver Nuggets. We'll keep tabs on what's going on next time. Here on the broadcast. And oh, be sure to listen out for rewind editions of the podcast, recapping every game the morning after.